The Electric Chair, Three Days to Hell. Hey, welcome everybody once again to The Electric Chair. My name is Midnight Corey. I'm your host on this crazy, weird ride that you're about to take. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, yeah, this is a crazy Thanksgiving week, so uh, hopefully I get everything out in time because I am traveling this week, uh, going out of town, see family, eat some turkey. Eat too much turkey, probably, as always. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I hope you all out there have a great Thanksgiving as well. Actually, by the time you listen to this, I hope you have had a great Thanksgiving. I'm recording this before the big turkey day. So uh, yeah, yeah. Hope you all, uh, you know, were safe, had fun. Uh, but yeah, um, man, lots of great things this week. Of course, uh, listen to this on Stitcher, stitcher.com. Great stuff. Horror Podcasting Alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. Wonderful people there. And uh, spookshow.tv as well. Make sure you're, you're tuning in to spookshow.tv. That's fantastic stuff too. So I really appreciate being part of all of that. Really cool, very flattering. Um, man, man, let, let's just get right into some uh, feedback. My man Johnny T, once again, um, sent in uh, an MP3, and uh, let's listen to what he had to say. Hello, Midnight Corys. Johnny T here from the UK. How you doing, my friend? Been a couple of weeks since I've called in again. Uh, I've been on holiday, getting the house prepared and everything already for that the thing coming soon called, what's it called? Uh, Christmas, yes. Oh, blimey. Um, I've sent Emma tons of emails off eBay of like what Santa should bring me as regards horror figures, DVDs and stuff. Uh, and also books, because I've been bizarrely listening while I've been off painting um, to some of your older shows and stuff. Because I read Rise of the Governor, you know, the book based on The Walking Dead, which is really, really good and well worth a, a read. And it's got some good twists in it and, uh, you know, some good backstories. I'm not sure if you read it or not, but um, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I've read again World War Z, uh, or Z, as we say over here, uh, from seeing the trailer. And comparisons are like, hmm, I'm not sure what it'll be like, but, um, you know, obviously you've talked about it and stuff, but we shall see. Uh, now I'm moving on to The Morning Star Strain, Plague of the Dead, a zombie novel by Z.A. Raked, 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 Raked. Um, so looking forward to reading that one. And also I've just picked up uh, Del Toro's The Strain, um, so yeah, I don't know. I've got periods where you go through stuff and that, but now I've suddenly got back into reading a ton of stuff again, and listening to some of your older shows and some of the recommendations. Um, yeah, it's all very good, sir. So um, keep up the good work on the shows, and um, I shall call in again next week after I've uh, read some more books and stuff, and uh, give you my thoughts on them. And um, I'm keeping an eye out for other bits and bobs, you know, knocking around and that. So um, if I find anything else good that uh, I think you may not have heard of. I'll let you know. And um, yeah, we've just managed to watch the, the latest Walking Dead. I won't spoil it as if you've not seen it or any of your listeners have seen it. But uh, this season is proper kick-ass. And it's good to see that they're incorporating a lot of the comic stuff into it as well as doing little twists on the comic stuff as well. So yeah, as with all my voicemails, I always drop a little bit in about the Walking Dead. But you know, it's great stuff. So uh, yeah, you carry on the good work, my old sir. And I shall call him very soon. And uh, take care. And I shall speak to you next week. Bye. Man, it's great to hear from you again. I just love hearing your voice, man, and uh, knowing that you're listening, which is very cool, and I really, really appreciate that, Johnny T. But, uh, man, you're you're reading some good stuff. It's really cool to hear that uh, you're really into reading, um, man, because uh, so am I. And 
Uh, I read When I Can, and uh, Rise of the Governor is definitely a great book. I'm in the middle of that one right now, and I actually have, there's, they, they just released the, the second book here not long ago, um, which I'm also really interested to uh, get into. But uh, man, man, yeah, a fantastic book. Everybody out there, I, it, you know, especially if you're into The Walking Dead and you know the story, especially the governor here, you know, you're, you're going to want to read this novel. It's really well written and very interesting, so... Um, but yeah, um, World War Z and the trailer, it's like, you know, to me, I think I've mentioned this before, it's like two different animals there, you know, they have World, World War Z, the book, um, and it's, you know, a series of interviews and stuff about uh, the whole zombie thing, but uh, that doesn't look like it has anything to do with the movie. I mean, the movie might be cool. I wasn't real impressed by the trailer, you know, it's just like... Uh, I don't know. It, it could be good. Just don't call it World War Z. It, it's just, it, to me, it's just going to be so different than the book. Um, and again, you know, a lot of CG, you know, the, the zombies, I don't, man, I don't know. So many people seem to like it, and so I don't want to bust on it because I really don't, it might be a great movie. I just don't have my hopes up for it. I really don't. It seems like to be another, uh, you know, big budget um, mainstream sort of cash-in thing, you know, like everyone was so excited about Zombieland and people love Zombieland, and that, of course, is a big-time Hollywood zombie movie, and I was just severely disappointed by Zombieland, and I think after that, I'm just like, screw you, Hollywood. I mean, screw you, you know, mainstream big-budget films. You get my hopes up, and then you deliver crap, so... <laughs> I know a lot of you disagree with me out there, but I mean, that's just that's sort of my take on it. So I don't know. But uh, the book's great. The book's great. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, reread that. Um, I hope to reread that soon. It's fantastic. Um, and The Morningstar Strain, dude, fantastic choice of books. Um, man, read all three. Of course, the third um, they just released, um, you know, and man, I haven't read it yet. Of course, there's so much to read out there, but uh, I can't wait to get to it. I, I did read the first two, and they're they're amazing. But uh, yeah, so let me know what you think of all that. But uh, Johnny T, Johnny's Called Films, um, man, you're the man. You're the man. Thank you for taking time to send me some feedback. So if you want to send me some feedback, you know, the voicemail line is 206-337-5096, and you can email me an MP3, just like Johnny T did, Corey at midnightcory.com. You can also go to the... the um, uh, whatchamacallit, the contact page on the website at electricchairshow.com. Um, go to, uh, like I said, the contact page. There's a form there, and you can even like upload an MP3 right on the, uh, the contact page. Pretty slick. Pretty slick. I'm a fancy man over here. Technology at my fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, great stuff. Well, let me tell you about my guest. This week, I had the honor of speaking with El Gustavo Cooper. Uh, he was on the show before. It came back because he has so many exciting things in the works. He's just really got all kinds of things going. And uh, but I had no doubt. You know, he he did that fantastic short Velvet Road, and I hope you get a chance to see that. It's uh, going through a lot of festivals right now, winning a lot of awards and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Which I'm not surprised. Not surprised by. It's it's awesome. But um, man, he came back and uh, we sat down last night and had a great chat. And uh, so you'll be hearing that. So thank you to Mr. Cooper for uh, hanging out with me again and talking. And, and just a wonderful guy. What a great guy. What a great guy. Um, so, yeah, that's coming up here soon. Let me tell you about some other things. Um, my reading this week, Tales from the Electric Chair, is going to be part two of Herbert West Reanimator. So you'll be hearing that shortly. 
Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Well, I watched some stuff. I watched some stuff this week. Um, let me tell you first, you know, I'm continuing in this Ultimate Zombie Feast DVD set here. And the one I watched this week um, in this whole series of short films in this collection uh, was one called Arise. Now, this one, it was 18 minutes long. Um, and uh, this is probably, to me, the weakest so far. Um, I mean, it was okay. It's basically a guy working in a factory and has a conflict with his boss and with people coming in late and whatnot. And then uh, the zombie thing just sort of happens and he kills some zombies and that, that's pretty much it. There's not a lot of story there. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But it's just sort of, sort of like, yep, here you go, killing some zombies. I mean, it wasn't anything really special. It just seemed like, uh, you know, let's... Uh, you know, make a little zombie-killing movie here, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it, it was all right. The production value was okay. Uh, I think the coolest thing definitely was uh, the zombies, the zombie violence, the killing itself. There were some cool kills, some cool, you know, blood effects and stuff like that, um, which I really liked. But it's sort of everything around it was sort of weak. You know, the acting wasn't great. Um, there was, you know, kind of this uh, stoner guy in it. And he was obviously wearing a wig, you know, a big ridiculous wig, and you know, so it just, you know, stuff like that wasn't real impressive. The audio wasn't it wasn't good at all, pretty much throughout the film. And you know, speaking of the audio, they had some cool, um, sort of really really heavy, um, you know, some death metal things, some really heavy music going on uh, at times in the movie. And it seemed sort of uh, like randomly placed, you know, we'd have snippets of this really heavy music, and then it would just cut out, and, and you know, just, I don't know, I don't know, it, it, it was all right, it was all right, and you can go watch this, this is another, you know, all of these apparently are, are available for free online, um, this one's up on YouTube, and I'll, I'll give you the link, so take a watch, you know, at least watch it for the zombie stuff going on, but, yeah, this one, it, it was, eh, eh, I don't know, I don't know, but that's a rise, and, uh, you know, again, hey, what can you do, at least I saw some cool zombie stuff, so, so, um, what else? Well, let me tell you about this other cool film that I saw. Um, this is on uh, Netflix Instant right now. And uh, I just, I, I queued it up, and uh, man, man, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. This is a movie called Lovely Molly. Um, it's from, I believe, um, Lovely Molly, 2011. Um, now, this was written and directed by Eduardo Sanchez. Now, um, that name to me did not ring a bell, but then I went up, you know, I, I looked at uh, his IMDb and stuff. This is the guy that did Blair Witch. Yeah, Eduardo Sanchez, the man behind the Blair Witch Project. Uh, uh, just a movie, whether you love it, whether you hate it, yeah, I gotta admit it, it just, man, it changed everything. <laughs> you know, movie-wise, really brought the found footage thing into the public eye, into the mainstream, and uh, spawned, you know, scores and scores and scores of of uh, other films so you know hey so this guy you know he, he's kind of a big deal um and uh lovely molly uh, this um it's not a found footage film although it does utilize elements of found footage you know we see some um pov shots of people taking video and stuff like that so it is used but um you know for the most part this is definitely a, a cinematic style uh, film so not found footage but um, basically, it follows this couple, uh, Tim and Molly, and uh, they just got married. They move into her parents' house, 
Um, their par- her parents are both dead, so they just kind of move into there. Um, he goes away. He's like a truck driver or something like that, so he's gone for days at a time and, and leaving her alone at this house, and weird things start to happen. We start, you know, seeing that there are things that have happened in her past sort of, um, you know, bubbling up again and coming back to haunt her, and she really begins to fall apart, uh, just doing some really weird things, saying some really weird things, and uh, she is a recovering drug addict. Um, she thought she had this whole drug thing kicked before they got married, and then all of a sudden she just decides to start shooting up again. And the reason she does that, though, is she has to deal with all these weird things happening because uh, we are led to believe that uh, there, there's some haunting things, you know, some supernatural things going on in this old house. And the cool thing about this is that you're left guessing um, and you don't really know what's going on. You realize she's back on drugs, so is everything we're seeing just because, you know, she's back on heroin again. Heroin does weird things to your mind, I hear. So, man, you know, what's, uh, is that what's really going on here or is there some sort of supernatural thing? The whole movie is very spooky and the thing is, I thought I had this pegged. Um, you know, in the first, you know, like half hour or so, I'm just like, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, another possession story, move into this weird house, strange things happen, possession, you know, and, and then, uh, so I, I just thought, you know, I wasn't really seeing anything new, it wasn't going to be very original, but wow, wow, things get crazy, things get nuts, it just, it blew me away. I really, really loved it. There's so many psychological elements going on here. It's very unsettling, very disturbing. It gets under your skin. I mean, this thing really, I mean, wow, man. It, it, it sort of bothers you. It sort of bothers you. It gets to you. It gets to you, man. So it, it's, man, um, fantastic. Um, on a technical level, everything was done great. Good cinematography. Um, outstanding sound design. The way they used audio and, and sound effects and, and you know, music beds and things like that. Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely wonderful. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there, there are things um, that I could mention. I, I, I just don't want to spoil the ending. The ending just it was like, wow. Wow. Can't believe. Can't believe that. Um, sort of, maybe, possibly leaves itself open to a sequel, and we'll see if that that happens. I don't know. Um, this was only, you know, a 2011 film, so that may be in the works. I have no idea. But uh, Eduardo Sanchez, Blair Witch guy, man, you can make a great movie that's not found footage. Even though you did use some found footage sort of stuff in here sporadically, um, for all intents and purposes, this is a cinematic film, and you did a great job, man. So. Cheers to you, Eduardo Sanchez. Um, yeah, but uh, if you have Netflix Instant, definitely go watch this. It's uh, fantastic. So I would give it, you know, 11 stars out of 10. How about that? <laughs> or what? <laughs> I don't know. I used to rate movies a whole lot, and I, I just kind of got away from that. I'm just like, this is a good movie. Go see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Lovely Molly is fantastic. Ah, so there you go. Um, let's get into the show. Let's hear the uh, the talk that I had with El Gustavo Cooper. Let's uh, read some more Lovecraft, and then I will be speaking with you again. The Memorial Trilogy, the zombie epic by Dead Letter nominated author Robert R. Best. Lakewood Memorial tells the story of a single mom fighting the hordes of the dead to reach her two children. Ashton Memorial follows up with the trio finding themselves caught in the chaos of Ashton Memorial Zoo. 
and World Memorial tells you how it all ends. Own the trilogy that BuyZombie.com said can be placed amongst the classics of the zombie genre. Each of the three volumes are available in paperback and on Kindle. Or buy the complete Memorial Trilogy on Kindle for only $4.99. Go to www.robertrbest.com for more information. The Memorial Trilogy by Robert R. Best. Read it before. It's too late. I welcome back to the show. Good friend extraordinary filmmaker, El Gustavo Cooper. Man, thank you for taking the time to talk with me tonight, man. No no problems. Pleasure's all mine. Ah, oh, man, it's uh, it's really flattering to me that uh, you're taking time out of your really busy schedule, man, to hang out and talk again tonight because the last time you were on the show, we talked about your phenomenal short, Velvet Road, and uh, I just watched it again tonight. You, you know, I, we were talking before the show, and you gave me your you, the private link to you know the the, the short. And uh, I'm totally abusing that privilege because I watch it over and over and over again, and I love it. Um, but uh, it holds up for me, and I understand there is some really really great things uh, in the making for uh, Velvet Road. So it's a short right now. And what can you tell me about where we're going from here? Um, well, I can tell you a little bit about what I've been up to. Um, we just recently, you know, with December coming up, have, I think I I premiere one more festival and, uh, we've been over 19 festivals. We've won six so far, um, been nominated at, uh, at least 11 different ones have, uh, had a blast just going to all these horror festivals. This has been my first year actually doing that. Mm. And um, the most recent one was uh, the Spooky Empire in Orlando. Beautiful. And uh, we ended up walking away with the uh, best Florida film or award, something like that, and then best uh, director of photography award. Wow. And um, that was cool because the the actual trophies made like the uh, it reminds me of the gate, like the hand. Awesome. The kid, uh, yeah, it looks like that. That's the actual uh, award. It's like this like crazy hand. It's pretty cool. I like before we even left, I was like, I want one of those things. Whatever we do, like <laughs> I don't care what it's for. I just want one of those. <laughs> so we ended up getting two. And uh, one of the funniest stories is I, I, I didn't talk to you about this but as we're um because it's a big horror convention and there's like mm. all these horror fans and there's like a bunch of uh you know stars from the genre and there's also a tattoo convention going on and i like tattoos so <laughs> i walked away from the uh the whole thing they were running a little bit behind and my my partner uh in uh, writing uh, John Bosworth, he was, he's like, well, I'm going to go to the festival and make sure that we're okay. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go get tattooed really quick. I want to get something in my ear. Nice. And he's, he's, he's like, all right, well, I'll text you if it starts. And I was like, okay. So, um, I got the guy to tattoo a film reel behind my ear. And I was like, nice. This needs to hurry up. This needs to hurry up. <laughs> and I get a text message and it's John Bosworth. And he's like, He's like, hey, dude, it's starting. And I was like, ah, how long does it take? And he's like, uh, five more minutes. And I'm like, okay. And I get another text message. He's like, hey, dude, I just accepted your award. And I was like, 
<laughs> and then message and the guy's finishing up and and uh and he's like hey dude i just got another award for you and i'm like holy shit and then i get down there and the whole thing's over and i just like missed the whole award wow and like i get handed these two trophies and uh it, it was just it was kind of just ridiculous because we were down five days and i missed the whole ceremony <laughs> but you have a tattoo to show for it so I got a tattoo on the back of my ear yeah. and i guy 50 bucks for it the guy was really cool he was like he was like uh and it sucks because i lost his card so if, you, if he's out there and he's listening to this contact me uh my email is gustavo <laughs> i owe you 50 dollars <laughs> oh man it was like go ahead and get your awards man and i was like you, you sure and he's like he's like yeah yeah i'm packing up i'm gonna leave but you know go get get that so i went back and he was gone and i don't have a way to get a hold of him now and oh man oh. 50 bucks so <laughs> wow well how much did it hurt be right there behind the ear i mean that's right on a bone right there isn't it it's, it's not that bad it's more yeah. of annoying than anything wow you sort of hear it really well, I'd imagine, the whole time. Yeah. No, you actually don't. It's just, like I said, it's annoying. It's like, imagine if you were to flick yourself in the back of the head. That's kind of what it feels like. Huh. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I didn't know what to think. I was just, I, literally, I was like five days of doing that whole horror fest, which is a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> I could imagine, man. That's got to be a trip. So, like, I'm not even... Like I said, I'm not, I don't know if I consider myself a horror filmmaker. And I walk out to this party and there, there's a bunch of people dressed up in all these different characters. And I walk out there and they're playing dubstep music and they're dancing and, and like everyone's wasted and, and it's just like lights are flashing everywhere. And I look at, I look at my buddy John and I literally said this, I was like, dude, you know, Jason's coming. He's like walking towards me, and and I see Freddie around the corner grinding with some like bloody bunny girls, and I'm like, "This is what I imagine hell looking like." <laughs> <laughs> and he just lost it, and I was like, "This is fucking." So I like I started videotaping everything, and I like I had to show my fiance when I got home. I was like, "This is what hell is going to be when I die." Wow. <laughs> oh man. You know, the, the funny thing is, you know, you talk about not being a horror fan and, you, you you know, you're not necessarily a horror filmmaker, but it just sort of happens. Yeah. You know, it, that's just sort of what you're making, man. It's weird. I, it is weird. Uh, one of my one of my teachers in college, her name's uh, Jenny Jarvis. She told me, she's like, some of the things that you will find is or that you're best uh you're best at are the things that you don't even want to do, <laughs> you know, and, and the thing and she's like. You know, I I loved I would love to write comedies. She goes, I think I'm funny, but I suck at writing comedy, and I write horror stuff. You know, and I'm like, what? Because if you look at her, you'd be like, how the hell does this little <laughs> you know cute lady write horror stuff? You know, and I don't know. So I I think you know she kind of inspired me to try that, and I guess I just have a deep dark place where that stuff lies. Oh. And um, well, you I don't are know. you're so good at it, man. You're so good. I mean, it, you know, again, I'm I'm one of the, you know, the lucky people that's seen Velvet Road. And, um, oh, dude, dude, it is so good. Like I said, I've rewatched it so many times. And, oh, I can't wait to see what you're doing next. So, of course, you know, bigger and better things coming for Velvet Road. 
Um, and man, okay, before I get to the really, really big stuff, you uh, you sent me a link on Facebook because we talk on Facebook all the time and I love it. Right, right. It's really cool. And you're like, hey, dude, I just uh, directed a music video. Check it out. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it was for, uh, you know, This Frontier Needs Heroes. It was a, you know, a song called 2012. And right. man, wow, it blew me away. I'm like, <laughs> dude. That's actually, that's that's pretty cool. But the, the little kid, the, the main kid, if, if you watch the video, like with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, mm-hmm. that's, uh, his name's Austin Shepard. And that's Jonathan Shepard, my executive producer, that, you know, he's like, he's the brains of the operation. And he, you know, he's my, he's my, he's my right hand man on everything I do. And, really? um, that's his kid. Wow. And, uh, he was just like, the his taking direction, he was just like, I was like, all right, dude. I was like, you're the leader of this bunch, but I don't want you to tell him that you're the leader. I was like, I just want you to lead. And he was like, all right, I got it. And he's only like five years old. Wow. Like that. And he just totally nailed it. And uh, he did such an amazing job. Well, you you know how to lead people. You know how to direct people. I mean, that's the definition of a director. You know, you recognize talent and you, I think, bring out the best in them. You know, you you kind of do things according to your vision, and uh, I, I just high fived a bunch of kids and told them to hey. ride the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's what you got to do, that's what you do. I mean, you you sort of identify that, you know, as you as you you know work with what you have to work with, you know, and yeah. uh, you know was, it's it's a real talent and a skill there, man. It uh, is really it was, fantastic. It was funny one because I I uh, one of my friends' moms. Or, I'm sorry. One of my friends is a mother, and she uh, she was on the set, and she came up to me later, and she's like, "You know, I didn't know you were that good with kids." <laughs> and I was like, "I'm just a big kid myself, I guess." Yeah. You know? And she's like, "But she's like, no, you're like really good with kids." And I was like, "I don't know." And <laughs> hmm. I guess yeah. it, it it was just it's just fun i mean kids are you know they don't have any they're not angry and they're not mean you know unless they've been raised that way right right oh kids kids, it's like bright-eyed and ready to go you know so yeah kids are so awesome man especially i mean wait man once you have your own you know and and someday you know i I think you will but uh yeah it'll happen one day i actually i'm getting married uh may 15th I, i just I proposed uh, since the last time I talked to you. I Dude, congratulations! My girlfriend, thank you. She said yes, so that was awesome. All right. Uh, <laughs> so we're getting married May tenth, and um, you know, uh, all my friends around me are having kids and stuff, and it's really hard to like stop her from going. I mean, she's already <laughs> said like, oh, you know, I want to have a kid. I'm like, what'd you just say? <laughs> and she's yeah. like, like, don't even joke about that right now. <laughs> it's scary, man. It, it's really scary. And, oh, uh, my God. I can't even, like, my buddy's literally, he's, he's like, days away from having a kid. And he's he's already, like, you know, I, well, I, can't, I fuck with him all the time because he's, he's having a girl. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to tell your girl, like, all the, the horrible things about the world. And, like, <laughs> and he's like, you better not. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to. Somebody needs to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like you know stay away from dudes with uh chevys and like just just all kinds of stuff that's Jeez. right that's right <laughs> oh yeah it it is so so i mean just knowing that uh you know from a father's standpoint that uh you basically have this 
brand new human life, basically, <laughs> you know, within your own hands, you know, in your own control. And you're responsible for this human life right here. <laughs> yeah, I think one uh, of the funniest things that I've ever heard is Louis C.K. talk about how uh, oh my God, yeah. getting, getting his kids to eat. He's like, don't you know that if you don't eat, they'll fucking take me to jail? <laughs> He's like, you're on the grid. Not <laughs> wow. <have> footprint. <laughs> I never thought of that approach with my son. You know, he's, I'm entering the terrible twos with my boy right now, man. And I, I'm, man, I'll take advice wherever I can get it right now. It's so funny. You should listen to the Louis C.K. Oh, uh, I do. I do. I, I am. I have, you heard, actually, have you heard that bit? I have not. And oh I, my God. but pretty much yeah. anything that comes out of his mouth is awesome. So it's, it's gold. Yeah. yeah it's so amazing. That guy is so bitter and so jaded. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. He speaks and, right to me. So that's, that's exactly. Yeah. I mean, anything, anybody with a soul who's lived his life a little bit can relate to what he says, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man, man. But, uh, yeah, oh, let's get back to you. Great things happening for you right <laughs> now. Not only with velvet road, which, there's going to be great news coming up here, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it more in the future. Um, but uh, let's talk about your newest endeavor, Kopi. Dude, this is this is something that's been uh, brewing for a while. There's a there's a great website, thefirstentry.com, um, and this is a really interesting film. It's a feature that is slated for uh, this coming summer. You know, summer 2013. So. Man, tell me about this. I am so interested in, in what this is about. Um, so Kopi is, uh, is, is this idea that we took from an ancient Romanian curse that started uh, before the 1500s. And basically, it's a clan of gypsies who would place spells on uh, sleeping children to keep them, sta- keep them safe. So the uh, one of the things that it all it all originated from this woman who uh, was a gypsy, and one day she was uh, brutally raped by uh, uh, a group of villagers. And um, after she was raped, you know, she became pregnant, and she was so torn and hurt by what had happened to her that she decided she was going to take her own life about seven or eight months into her pregnancy. And uh, as she was doing that. Um, this demon appeared and the demon said, you know, if, what if I told you I could take away all your hurt, all your pain and what, just wipe it clean. And, uh, she would go, you know, she was like, I do, I'll do anything. And he goes, okay, well in return, I want your child. And she was like, fine, do it, do it, do whatever you want. I mean, she didn't even want to have the baby cause she knew it was, you know, conceived from, uh, something violent. Hmm. And, um, so, uh, that's what the demon did. He goes, okay, in a year I'll be back. And the, I said that just like the Terminator, but like a really, (laughs) um, (laughs) so right, right. When uh, a year later passed and the, the lady, uh, fell in love, the woman fell in love with her child because she was free to, you know, to have that, uh, ability again. And once, once the demon came back, the demon was like, you know, I'm, I'm here for the child. And she was like, well, I'm sorry, I can't give you the child. I love him. Um, and, um, you know, you're not going to have him. So the demon was like, fine, if you're not going to give me the child, I'm going to uh, 
I'm going to make it to where none of your people or anybody that is associated with your clan will have children again. And then that's what he did. So he, he placed a curse on her and it was called, um, the Den Berta de Serpa or de Sarpe, which is Romanian for belly of the snake. And, uh, that so that that lasted for uh decades and uh the child was the last child to be born so he was he was the the only one left by the time he got old enough to marry he uh he decided to conjure this spirit back and or this demon back his mother it explained what happened and she passed and you know he was old enough to go okay I want a child. His his wife really wanted a child, so he conjured the spirit back, and the spirit uh, met with him and was like, you know, I'm. Uh, the guy tried to beg his plea and and say, you know, I know my mother did this, but you give me a second chance. And demon said, no, I'm not going to do that. But what I will do is I will allow you to have children. But in order for you to do that, you have to spread, you you have to uh, shed blood in my name, and. Um, the guy was confused and, and he was like, uh, okay, you know, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you want as long as you, you let my wife and I have a, ch a child. And he said, okay, repeat this. And it, he repeated the curse of the de, de Berte uh, de Sarpe and uh, around him, all the villagers uh, started to die around the children. And he the the man felt so bad after finding out about this after he had orphaned you know um hundreds of children that uh he got the clan to come in and take the kids and raise them as as their own so this was the only way that the clan could uh keep the bloodline going so this curse was passed down for generations and generations and now we're taking it to current day to where um, our characters, Holly and Trevor, um, who are a newlywed couple, uh, come into contact with one of these gypsies. Wow. Man. Yeah. Sorry, dude. That's, <laughs> I love it. Uh, that's a story. That's a little backstory of the curve, where, where this originates. The, the actual movie is going to be a psychological... Uh, paranormal roller coaster, um, and, nice. and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've definitely am excited about the film. We do have some some big people that are um, coming to bring a lot to the film, and we're going to have our uh, cast announce uh, probably by the end of the year. So look for that when uh, the New Year's come and. Um, we are, we're really excited. I think it's going to be a really cool uh, script. I mean, I, I know the script's cool. I think it's going to be a good uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. Um, you've actually been talking a lot about it, and you released this uh, really awesome poster for it. That was great. I mean, how did you come up with this artwork? Where'd you, where'd you get that uh, awesome poster uh, from? I have to say, I didn't come up with that. That was actually uh, one of my friends, Tiffany uh I'm I'm gonna butcher her name. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you don't hate me, but it's Tiffany Bazuski. And um, I'm sorry I put you on the spot for that. I, no, no, 
probably, I, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her name, but she's the one who came up with the with the art, and um, she she is uh, driving the whole um, art direction as far as marketing and all that stuff goes. And she's kind of she's been a, an amazing uh, help to to what we're doing with the film. So I just told her, and, you know, she came over to my house, and we just hashed out like what I was thinking and what I wanted to bring to the film and that's what she gave me and she's been nothing but just amazing so far so oh yeah uh, For, uh, what I see of the poster man it is total legit it is total like wow this movie is going to be fantastic I mean it looks like total like high-end awesome horror movie so it's uh you know kudos to her from uh, you know to you know for being such a great, great, you know, artistic vision for this. Yes, yeah, she's just a great designer. It's crazy. Like, um, I, 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 I had no idea what she was. You know, when we started collaborating, I, I had no idea how great she was <laughs> until I, I saw all that stuff, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is amazing!" Yeah, yeah. yeah it blew me away. So, um, and then as far as the the. Um, the the rest of stuff you got you guys are in for a treat. There's gonna be so much stuff. We have we're gonna have three posters that are are um, gonna come out during the course of the year that are gonna leak more information about the film. And there's a lot of stuff that we're doing to where the fans can interact with what's happening on the film with our Facebook and our Twitter. So nice. you know anybody who's interested in this, you know keep keep looking at the Twitter. Uh, it's uh, Kopi. Uh, I think it's copythemovie.com or Kopi the movie on Twitter. Yeah. And um, the uh, the actual Facebook is uh, I think it's Kopi. I think it's Kopi the first century on Facebook. Oh yeah, yeah, and definitely I'm so excited about it, man. So it's uh, man, if it, it again, if it reaches the quality of Velvet Road, what I've seen at all it, it's gonna be awesome uh just uh as far as storytelling you know uh artistic quality man it just uh it, wow it's definitely it's definitely two different films uh velvet road is, well yeah but as far as like uh artistic vision and quality yeah, I, goes yeah, you know I, what I, I mean i think i think it's gonna it's gonna be really really unique it's gonna be really cool uh, we're we're mixing uh, a couple of different things in the film that I've seen that have inspired me. You know, um, it's got a Drag Me to Hell, Lovely Molly, Blair Witch, Troll Hunter, um, monsters feel to it. Mm. You know, without we're not going to uh, to go the whole found footage thing, but yeah. we are exploring some of that and. Um, it, we're you know it's it's going to be a pretty cool ride um, when we start shooting principal photography. I'm sure, I'm sure. And uh, again, anything that I've seen you do, man, has been extremely awesome. So I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I couldn't do it without uh, help. You know, I definitely have a really good team. Um, Jonathan Shepard's like my go-to guy if, if, if I didn't have that guy on my team I wouldn't be able to make the stuff that I do so 
Hmm. You need to talk to him one day. He's got a pretty awesome story. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Hopefully I will someday. That's uh Yeah, he's he's a he's an awesome dude. Um Cool. But yeah, he he's a uh, we're we're in the process right now of getting both those films uh up. We are uh we're looking good like the beginning of the year starts Kopi and then um Velvet Road could possibly start this summer. So Nice. We are working on that. Um like I said, there's a lot of stuff happening this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I actually, in between all this writing horror films, I wrote uh, I wrote a kids movie. So we'll see what happens. Wow, dude! <laughs> no yeah. way. What's that about? That's actually what uh, the front. This frontier needs heroes. I wrote a I wrote a feature length script uh, with <laughs> my my co writer yes. uh, partner Joe uh, John Bosworth, and oh uh, that that whole movie is about uh, time travel and. Um, it's like the Goonies meets time travel. Dude, that's awesome. I have a little boy right now, and I, I would love to be able to share like something awesome yeah, like that yeah. with him. You know what I mean? What, well, what happened is uh, my, uh, my uh, fiance's grandmother, she's this little Japanese woman, and she's like, she, she's like, Gus, when am I going to be able to show my friend stuff you make? You know? <laughs> I, like, I love it. I don't know. Uh, I guess I should make something. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, okay, good. And then, the, so I, I like started writing a kids movie, and uh, it's pretty cool. It's it's gonna be very offbeat indie film, and um, we're we're still in the beginning stages of that. You know, nice. Uh, this is probably. I was talking to John Shepard the other day, and I was like, I guess his wife asked him, you know, how many films are you gonna make this year, and. Uh, and he was like, you know, I think we're probably going to end up making four or something like that. And I'm like, holy crap. Because oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it's just, one, it's addicting, first of all. And, and yeah. second, just it's so much like fun. You know, it's just so great yeah. to, to get it out there and get people excited about what you're doing. Yeah. And I love to hear that you're just not saying, oh, man, I'm just going to make horror films. And that's all I'm going to do. Oh, uh, no, you no. Know, I'm- Really not going to do that. I mean, cool. Obviously, uh, I'm not an idiot. You know, if, if making horror films is fun and people like it, I'm going to do it. You know, but uh, I just I just want to tell stories. So if the cool. story calls for horror, if it calls for blood, if it calls for that, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make a film that's, you know, not. Uh, I don't know. Like even on, you know, once we make Velvet Road, you're not going to see stuff in there that's like for the sake of making gore you know yeah it just doesn't it that's it doesn't it's not classy yeah <laughs> no i know I, of course you know we go back you know when we talked about this the last time you're on the show but one of your influences is the walking dead and that's kind of yeah. another you know that's that's sort of what they do you know the walking dead isn't all about the gore and the zombie violence and stuff like that it's about the story and yeah. you can tell a good story yeah, I actually at that horror convention I met uh, I met T Dog um, at the awesome. convention. So I actually I showed him Velvet Road too, and he was super he was super psyched on it. That's he watched awesome. it. when I when I first talked to him. I was like I was like, hey man, uh, I'm a big fan. I just wanted to you know give you my short and uh, and hope you could watch it. You know, and and uh, he was like, oh cool, what is it? What what's it about? And I was like. I mean, he was really cool. He was super approachable, you know, and I was like, uh, it's basically The Walking Dead meets uh, Mississippi Burning. Yeah. Goes, 
Oh, wow. <laughs> then uh, he was really cool. He replied back and he was like, man, I love this film. This is awesome. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I talked about sort of racial themes in there and it's very racially provocative. Did he uh, comment on any of the sort of racial things going on there? Yeah, or? yeah he really liked the way we were taking the genre and he yeah. thought he was like, you know, this hasn't been done. And uh, I mean, everyone's kind of compared the, what we're doing to somewhat of, you know, what Romero was doing. Nice. Wow, um, dude. That's high praise. Will, yeah, wow. no, it's, it's, it's an insane praise that, you know, um, Romero's the godfather of, of zombie films, but um, it's, it's like, it's, it's inspiring to hear that, you know? So, yeah, man, um, that we, we did. I mean, I, I handed out a bunch of them too. There was a bunch of people around there. Um, Sid Haig was there. I gave nice. him one. Um, I gave one to Bill Mosley. Well, so my uh, my fiance is walking in the door. So no. my dog. <laughs> I got an English dog and a in uh, a mutt thing. That's they're both barking. So. I love dogs. They're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a cat. I don't really like cats. Cats are terrible. I have one, and she's a total bitch cat. I hate her. And, it, you know, she was so nice when she was a little kitty, but now I think she's trying to kill me. I mean, literally, I think <laughs> she is trying to murder me. Every time I get on the steps, she is on the next step trying to. I'm allergic to cats, so I feel like uh, they're always trying to kill me in yeah. some way. <laughs> but she is very deliberate about this. She's like, I can't <laughs> wait till you die. I'm going to try to, you know, facilitate your death. Uh, as much as I can, but yeah, yeah. Cats, <laughs> cats are so damn evil. Oh my god, they are. They're, uh, they're the epitome of evil. There's a great, I, you know, idea for a, a movie right there. I mean, something with cats, like just, yeah, I, like if evil. anything, like I just want, I just want to kill cats. Like, like yeah, and they're so conniving and evil, but yet you know, they're so damn lovable. I don't. Well, that's one of the things too that I don't understand is like how people can they, they you, dogs are like they're so loyal. And like they wait when you come home, they greet you. And cats don't give a shit if you're home or not. Right. You know, like they just don't care. And they want everything for them. Like, I don't know. They're yeah. just very selfish animals. They are. They are. Damn cats. Ah, <laughs> oh, dude. Well, you've been, you know, dude, there's been a lot of interest in your work. And uh, in fact, you're hanging out with a lot of really, really uh, cool people. Um, oh, you know, yeah. just, just going out. I mean, you mentioned you're hanging out with uh, T dog from the walking dead and, uh, you talk with Sid Haig and Bill Mosley. I mean, who else? I mean, you just, you've been just sort of hanging out with a lot of great names. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I went out to LA and, uh, went to the AFM, which was the first time I ever done that. And, and if you are a director or filmmaker, I suggest you go do that and then never do it again. Because it's like, it's, it's a good experience to have, but I probably will never go back there. If I can go without doing that, I will never go back because oh, wow. it's not for creative people. It's for people that want to sell and make movies and, or not, they want to sell movies and buy movies and that's it, you know? Hmm. But uh, while I was out in LA, I got to hang out with uh, some pretty cool, some pretty cool guys. Um, I mean, I, I had lunch with uh, Sean Whalen, which was awesome. And, um nice. And uh, I got to uh, got to hang out with Brad Wilson, who was uh, Robert Duvall's, uh, I think is his former producer for like 12 years or something. Wow. Um, 
I also um, got to hang out with Bill Mosley. I had lunch with him. And, um, you know, after after meeting at the conventions and stuff, they were just like, hey, when you're out in L.A., we should link up and get food. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> you know, so we Man. just ended up doing that. And I, and I was in a diner and met up uh, when I met up with Sean Whalen and uh, Bo Hopkins was like right around the corner. And he's like a silver screen legend. Um, so that that was pretty cool. And, you know, it was it's it's been pretty awesome so far. There's been a lot of really unique experiences. I got to hang out with Bobby who uh, or Tom Martin when yeah. I was out, was out in L.A. And we had this really cool like uh, dinner where his wife made like this amazing, you know, spread of food. And uh, we all hung out and sang around a piano. It was pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah, it was like something you never. I was like, man, people do this out in L.A. This is crazy. You know, <laughs> they're all. They were just so happy. They were singing, and I was like, this is so surreal. This isn't. This isn't real. This isn't happening. <laughs> could you live in L.A.? I mean, you you know, you're a Florida guy yourself, and could you live out in L.A. Like, I, I permanently? I, I think there's part of me that that says yes, and a part of me is. Is like you know I love living in the South, man. Yeah, it's just there's a Southern hospitality that you don't find anywhere else, and unless you unless unless you leave, you don't appreciate it because when you mm. come back, you know, hearing hearing the sound of my grandmother's voice, just mm. her little Southern twang, and you know, eating uh, chicken and dumplings and stuff like that, it's yeah. just. You know, you you don't get that type of stuff out in L.A. I mean, literally, when, when I went to L.A. and New York recently, and it's like New York, you're you're in the way, and L.A., you're not cool enough to be in the way. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Well, dude, you're you're totally you're you're getting there, man, and you deserve it. Um, I, I think your 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 talent, man, is just uh, immense, and uh, those are the hot spots. I mean, New York and L.A. You just sort of can't avoid them at this point. Yeah, because that's yeah. where you got to be. I hear, I hear that. Um, you know, I, I actually visited Atlanta recently, and Atlanta's doing a lot of stuff. And yeah. I could, I feel like it's a good middle ground. It's got its city urban stuff. It's got a lot of production, but it's still got its southern hospitality. You know. Oh yeah. Um, you know, me and my fiance have talked about uh, going out to Atlanta possibly, but who knows. You know, the next years could just bring an insane amount of change. So we're just kind of waiting to take that and uh, see what happens. You never know. I, I think just uh, being doing what you're doing right now and all these projects you have coming up, all these exciting things, man. Wow. Wow. Well, Get ready. For, Get ready. I've got a really great. Uh, I work for a company right now called uh, DVA. Mm -hmm. And, um, they they are they back me on the pretty much everything I do, nice. so it's a uh, I got a really good spot where I'm at. I get to do a lot of commercials, and I get to be creative every day, and you know they pay me to do that. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if I go out to L.A., uh, I might have to start from the bottom, but here at least I can uh, you know make some money. House houses you know housing's cheap and. Uh, you know, there's not people like on top of you 24 seven. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, man. So exciting. So exciting for you. You mentioned, <laughs> uh, you know, some great movies 
that uh, you know inspired you, and uh, one that really popped out to me was "Drag Me to Hell," mm-hmm. um, two thousand nine. Um, Sam Raimi. Uh, wow! Yeah. Wow! I, um, legend. I um, uh, yeah. Evil Dead, uh, Army of Darkness. I have seen those movies a thousand times. So, like, when I say I'm not a horror fan. I guess I just don't consider myself like this diehard horror fan, but dude, I've watched, I've watched Evil Dead probably more than anybody in the entire world. Wow! I I used to fall asleep to that movie. Hmm. So I forgot that I used to do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam Raimi uh, is of course a big influence, and um, especially you know I I I saw Drag Me to Hell. And the idea of the gypsy uh, curse thing was just so fascinating to me that it made me want to do some of my own research. And, um, you know, there's there's always like I even had somebody yesterday when I announced the poster. They were like, I mean, you can go back on my Facebook and look at this. The guy was like, oh, shit, you just totally threw, I got to throw away my script now. <laughs> and it's like, like, dude, I, I didn't. I didn't know you're making a, a, a gypsy cult movie or whatever. Like, sorry, you know, like, um, and, uh, you know, the thing is, it's like, there's so many stories there. Just, just tell them, like, if you're a good right. filmmaker, it doesn't matter who's telling what story, you know, just do it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, the, you know, I, I took this class that, that, uh, told me that, supposedly there's only five stories in the entire world or something. There's like five real stories and the rest of them are just versions of those stories. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. And and I have to do some more research on that. I think it's like five or seven. There's like five stories that have been told around the world. And literally that's all there is. And the rest of the things that are happening are just those stories being told over and over and over and over in different ways. Well, well I know Sam Raimi in uh, formulating Drag Me to Hell, it was actually something he had, you know, brewing for years and years and years mm-hmm. um, before he actually got to make it, be- you know, because he got kind of caught up in the Spider-Man films. Right. Which I don't right. blame him. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. I mean, dude, you know. who wouldn't want to make Spider-Man films? Yeah, he's sort of rich at that point. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's that's yeah, not even the yeah. right word for that. Well, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's basically it. Um, so, again, he gets to come back and sort of make a movie that uh, he sort of has a real passion for and has been uh, sort of formulating and, uh, and writing for a lot of years. And, uh, man, this uh, this thing, I'll tell you, to be honest... Um, the first time I heard about this was um, when I saw the uh, trailers on TV for it. And mm-hmm. this was a you know brand new horror movie from Sam Raimi. Okay, great. And then yeah. I actually saw it, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of CGI. Yeah. Holy cow, wow. And I, that didn't really sell this to me. You know, I was kind of like, well, this is a lot of CGI, so... Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to like it or not. And so I wasn't really excited. What did you think? I mean, with this, when this first came out, you saw the trailers. Were you excited about it just because it was Raimi? When you saw it, what did you think of the yeah, CGI? Yeah, I mean, when, uh, when I first saw it, you know, uh, I'm a big believer in do use whatever you need to do to tell a story. I don't care if it's CGI, practical effects, film, 
you know, your iPhone, whatever. Like if the story's good, I don't care. Yeah. Um, and when I saw it, I knew what Raimi was, uh, uh, you know, what he, what he was capable of. So I was, that was my first thing. I was like, holy shit, a new Sam Raimi film. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> you know? and, uh, yeah. and then actually when I watched it, I wasn't as, I didn't like it. <laughs> you know? Really? Yeah, I was. Did you see it in the theater or just DVD or? I saw it on DVD. I I I didn't like it. I was not as uh, thrilled as I felt like the characters were like uh, the motivation. You know, the gypsy was she cursed the girl for not giving her uh, a loan in her house. You know, it was like that's a little drastic. I feel right. Right. you know, maybe it was like you ran over the gypsy's dog. Like, I feel like that's a better. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little extreme. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it was like, I don't know. It just, it just felt a little kind of extreme. So, yeah. uh, but the, 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 that's what I look for in everything, you know, whether it's right. like, for instance, I watched Constantine last night. Oh, I, I haven't seen that yet. You haven't seen Constantine. It's so many John- people tell me I should see it and. Dude, it, I know the the you know initial reaction is like, oh, it's Keanu Reeves, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah, Bill and Ted, you know. Cool. It's a, yeah. I I like the Constantine's a cool, you know, it's a comic book. It was they, I thought they did a pretty decent job adapting that that script, but um, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that though, and um, dude, again, you have such a great track record with recommending great movies. Um, to me, you know, I will totally uh. You know, Constantine. It's a, uh, it's worked its way up there to the top of my list because you know. I, have, have you seen the uh, the Raven yet? No. Oh my god! I watched that the other day. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Wow. John Cusack. Cusack. I love. I love John Cusack. Dude, I don't know anybody who hates John Cusack. So, mm. <laughs> like, I would definitely yeah. watch that. Um, that movie was actually far better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it it was wow. it was written just beautifully. It was so poetic, man, man. And which you know it's, it's kind of redundant because it's, <laughs> it's about him being uh, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard to take that that Poe, uh, you know, story that you know, you know, everything I love about that original Poe tale, and to try to modernize it and think it could be a cool movie. You know, oh maybe that's God. what I'm you know, hesitating about. Even though I uh, love Cusack and everything, I don't know. Braggy, Braggy shoot, who uh, who wrote Season of the Witch with Nicolas Cage, right? And uh, he does a bunch of stuff with um, sci-fi, and he he's an amazing writer. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He he actually when I was out in L.A., he was like, he's like, dude, have you seen The Raven? And I was like, no, I haven't yet. And he goes, I know this is gonna sound stupid, but you should watch it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> So I came home and we rented it and we watched it and I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. And yeah. um, it was, uh, it was just, I don't know, it was very fascinating um, so how how they intertwined the stories of, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and his character. And I was, I don't know, that stuff's, he, he was a, a great storyteller, you know? Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm definitely watching that now. Um, man, man, but, uh, damn, drag me to hell. What, uh, you know, you said you didn't like this when you first watched it. And obviously this sort of influenced you though. I mean, did it grow on you? 
I mean, no, no. I mean, sometimes the things that you don't like, you know, doesn't mean they don't influence you. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. I, uh, I'm influenced by everything around me all the time. You know, uh, yeah. that's actually, I, I, I actually don't watch things because I don't want to be influenced by them sometimes. Like, uh, I haven't watched Breaking Bad yet. I haven't seen a, I saw a, oh, you're missing out, man. Well, the thing is, I've got these two movies in the works right now, and I don't want that to influence what I'm doing right now. So I've, I don't watch things. I mm. this is sounds stupid, but seriously, I watch Futurama every single night. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, and I, it's my it's my safe haven. I go there. I, I've seen every single episode. Wow. And that's what gets me to stay like focused i guess is not watching anything else that's awesome that's awesome oh, it, yeah i've heard breaking bad's amazing though i can't wait to get oh, to dude that. and um wow i could do a whole podcast on that week after week after week after week yeah, I heard wow yeah yeah it is uh have you been staying up with the walking dead i've been trying i saw the first two episodes of um season three and uh, I've DVR'd the rest, and I haven't seen uh, anything since uh, the, the second episode. And apparently I'm missing an awesome season from what yeah, I hear. This is, yeah, this is by far the best season. Oh. All right, well, the first season was really good. You know, Frank Darabont was amazing the first yeah. season. And uh, he, he it, they've picked up the pace. I mean, I don't think it'll ever be as good as the first season, but it's definitely better than the second season <laughs> well the you second know? season i mean it's like you're you, it's almost like you're setting up things you're well, setting up a lot of uh, of things to happen in future seasons so from my like, understanding yeah. what happened is the the money got pulled from the show oh yeah was, oh for sure was given it was given to Mad Men, and then frank darabon or whatever he left oh and, yeah yeah it was a, it was a huge um kind of dropout that season, because right. Darabont left, and then um, what's his name that was playing um, the old guy? Oh, I can't even remember his name. Um, what's his name that died in the middle of season two? Um, um, oh man, I've been reading this comic for like for like years and years. Um, um, he he died. He got bitten. He was with uh, Andrea in the comic, and um, they. Uh, I don't know, but that the, the old guy. Oh man, I feel like such an idiot right now because I can't think of this, <laughs> this guy's name. But he died in the second season. Nobody expected him to die, but the only reason was because he was tied to Darabont. Dale. And Dale. Yeah. Dale, thank you. Dale died in the middle of the second season. He was actually not supposed to die at that point, but he did just because he decided to leave the show because Darabont was fired from that position and I thought, he had, I thought it was a, a, a thing where I thought he left I didn't know he was fired oh yeah maybe he left I'm sorry maybe uh okay okay yeah, I, I'm I, sorry I, I misspoke I, yeah since yeah, the money was gone he was like you're not I can't do what you want me to do it may be that Dale left because of that that sounds pretty awesome actually that an actor is like I'm not doing this because it's not in the vision well, dude that, do you ever see the mist yeah actually yeah. I, I watched that recently Dude, that's a, a total. It's um, you know, it's Dale. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's so weird for me to watch, you know, right now, because yeah, it's like Dale it. and Andrea and um, 
and maybe somebody else from The Walking Dead, but it's kind of like The Walking Dead, you know, in this whole different movie. And um, so, but it was, uh, again, yeah, Frank Darabont. In it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it's Darabont doing this film again. And uh, it's sort of like he, you know, Frank Darabont has this whole sort of, um, you know, cast of actors around him, which is totally cool. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is good or bad. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it sort of explains a lot of what we are seeing. Now, yeah, you mean, know, it, in The Walking Dead. It's interesting how you can watch from a viewer's perspective the you can watch the um studios just mm. rip apart something and like have like I think uh I forgot what was the woman's name that ended up taking over the show? Oh man. Oh. Here I'll I'll just do a quick Google real quick. Yeah, because uh, I'm I just I'm so behind yeah, I'm on this. Really bad with names. Yeah, me too. Uh, Darabont actually, it said I don't know. He said he got fired, but I don't know. I'm I didn't know this, but there's been like they've been going through some directors. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's been it's been weird, and um, especially with this whole uh, controversy with Dish, you know, the Dish Network where um. You know, and this affects me because I have Dish myself. Well, it's, yeah, well, it's back now. AMC's back. It is. On- oh, no. thank God. Yeah, because uh, I was pissed. Um, we came into this third season. And I'm like, I can't wait. And then Dish is like, well, we, we, we're we dropping AMC. And no explanation except for, you know, anything that I hear on the internet and, you know, rumors and you know, whatever. Right. Um, but I don't know who to believe as far as, you know, who should I side with here? You know, it's, I just, I, I don't know. Would somebody be justified, you know, watching these current episodes through less than, you know. I, I feel like, you know, if you're, I don't know, man, by any means necessary, this, you know, it's always how I feel. If you're passionate about whatever you're passionate about, like if it's cooking, uh, writing, you know, shooting pool, whatever. If you really want to do it, fucking do it. You know, like that's yeah. how, if you really want to watch The Walking Dead, don't let that shit stand in your way, man. You know, well, dude, what, what, I mean, you know, just from your standpoint as a, you know, a, a very indie filmmaker right now, what if uh, Velvet Road, you know, the short, all of a sudden got launched out there on BitTorrent? And It'd be everybody kind of flattering. Can... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of flattering. I'd be like, holy shit, somebody wants to see my film so bad that they've been born this thing. <laughs> You're not making a dime from it, anything, but yeah, it's still cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it would just be, uh, you know, to a certain extent, you know, I, could, I, I both, you know, you're like, shit, but then you're also like, well, I guess he really wanted to see that movie, you know? <laughs> well, even, I mean, you, you're working on some features, right now you know of course uh you know copy let's say right. you you get a really great cut of copy out there and you're trying to sell it you know it's just some it's some major players right out there and it's looking good but all of a sudden you know you see your screener all of a sudden like pop up on these torrent sites on the pirate bay or or something oh, i would definitely uh you know when these things go to uh distributors and all that stuff i would hold them accountable you know mm. I mean, anybody that that signs the piece of paper when you give it to them, they're obligated to not leak that information. Yeah. And uh, 
then that's a different subject. You know, mm-hmm. once the film's released and it's done its release, it's kind of open field, I feel like. It's like, okay, well, you know, it did its thing. Hopefully it makes money over in this territory and this territory, but if it's done a theatrical release and some dude films that thing on his, you know, <laughs> his phone or whatever, or yeah. gets it up there somehow, then more power to him. You know, right. I, I grew up not having a lot of money and... Dude, I'll, I'll admit it. I, I pirated some films and watched that stuff because it's the only way I could watch it. Right. If so, if I didn't, if I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't be a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. Well. So, in some ways, I can, I can understand, like, you know, people being upset because that's that's how they make their money is on sales and all that stuff. But uh, at the same time, you got to think about that little kid who doesn't have any money. Right. It just wants to watch your, you know, Sam Raimi film, which right. I, I'm sorry, Sam Raimi, but I pirated your films. Yeah. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, also bought them right after, though, because I fell in love with them. You know what I mean? I was like, I have to own Evil Dead and I have to own uh, Army of Darkness. So I think it comes in full circles sometimes, you know? Yeah. I think those movies that really, really affect you and you're like, damn, I got to see this on Blu-ray. Like, yeah, wow, you know, exactly. I mean, you eventually you go out there and you pay for them, even if you've pirated them. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of, you know, people that love movies, they don't stop at just watching the movie or having it on their hard drive. They like I need to fucking have this thing to hold. And I want people to know. I mean, your movie collection, when people walk in your house, that defines you. Yeah. You know what I mean? People yeah. walk in your house and they're like, what? You have. You know, white chicks on your fucking what is it? What's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Really, what you're watching every day? Okay, right, you know. right. <laughs> no, dude, I I totally hear that. I mean, I I take so much pride in this huge shelf that I have right yeah. here of all these DVDs, man. And I don't care if I can, you know, I can consolidate everything I have into one hard drive here on my shelf. You know, it's it's just so much cooler that uh, I have this and I can watch it whenever I want to watch it, however I want to watch it. I can stick the disc in. You know, it's it's like I don't know. We have this whole digital sort of uh, delivery thing going on right now that is, you know, very restrictive. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's almost like you you sort of you get to watch the movie, but sort of when we want you to watch it and when when we think it's convenient for you to watch it. And, it's um, the government, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, it's the it's the man trying to get us down. It's Obama. Yeah, and, no, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Are I you don't... one of those bastards that voted for Obama? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you know, yeah, I'm... so when I was at that horror convention, um, I found all these stickers that said uh, "Stand up, be an American," uh, "Stand up and be an American for America," or something like that. Found all these bumper stickers at this like coffee shop, hmm. so I had them in my car and I was I got bored like the third day and I'm walking around. Uh, I just went to my car to get my jacket or something and I was coming back out and I grabbed all the bumper stickers, and I started walking. It was like two in the morning. I started walking around and stickering up the horror kids' cars because yes. I thought it would just make. Them <laughs> you are so awesome. <laughs> so like, there's all these like you know insane clown posse stickers, and then I'd like stick a. Be an American, yes. on this, this thing, clown posse, and it like 
you'd see it tore down the next day and then I'd sticker it back up. So I did that for like two or three days. And I'm pretty sure some kids got really pissed. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude. That's the little punk skateboarder in me that was yes. like, need to cause some trouble. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, man. I love it. I love it. Dude, well, you know, drag me to hell. Dude, we're, you know, would you recommend this? I mean, you know, going out and buying the DVD, of course we have, uh, you I, know, the I, theatrical I, version and the unrated should horror fans go out and see this? I mean, even if, uh, you so know. I, I said I didn't like it, which means uh, yes, because I don't have the best taste in everything. <laughs> so um, what it did, what it did have is like one of the coolest fucking fight scenes that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. The, the I don't even want to ruin it. It's just so great. Um, there There's definitely some, if you're a Sam Raimi fan, there's like, you know the the technique the cinematography all that stuff's yeah. there like old like old Raimi's stuff that you didn't see in spider-man you know is definitely in that and um i would yeah i i watch crap man i watch <laughs> i watch everything like I, I i try to watch everything i just know like really good stuff like the, you know breaking bad like when i hear it's really good i won't watch it because i hear it's really good you know what i mean mm. and and yeah. I know that it's so good that it's going to influence me. Oh, so, wow. So I know that sounds kind of retarded, but I deliberately do, do not do those things sometimes. That's cool. No, that's cool, man. Like Game of Thrones, like I want to watch it so bad, but I won't. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't either. So, yeah, I mean, but I'll watch like I watch anything. I'll watch anything and just oh, and, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. And even if like the film's uh, not necessarily the best story or not best necessarily the best uh, quality or whatever, you know, there's, there's little gems in there, unless it's just the worst movie that you've ever seen. You're, I, but even then, like if you look at troll two, you're like, <laughs> I love troll two. Just amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that movie is so much fun. Oh, oh dude. God. Wow. Have you any of those like, they, the Rocky Horror Picture Show type things that they do. With, oh with, my god! Yeah, you have. I want to go to one of those things. Oh, it's disturbing. Uh, I Jacksonville doesn't have a a big like horror film community. Like they kind of do, they kind of don't. It's really Southern Baptist people. Like yeah, around. yeah, I could imagine. So, yeah. so it's like. Uh, it's hard to get money down here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> for, for horror films, you know what I mean? Uh, like, like you can make a a, a a a Christian film like nothing. You know what I mean? Like people will go give you money all day long for that. Hmm. So uh, I want to thank personally right now. I want to thank Dwayne Sykes, Dwayne A. Sykes. Thank you so much for helping me out with everything, because he is the guy who's been funding the stuff that I've been doing. Nice. Nice. Yes, he is. He is an awesome guy to have in uh, in my corner, and I'm just so happy that guy believes in me. Because, man, I couldn't do any of this stuff if it wasn't for him and John. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 hard. It's yeah. It's not an easy state to get some, especially where I'm at. Miami's a little different. That's like its own country. It's really, really well. It's just the way the roads are set up there. It's like doesn't make any sense. Right, right. So you can you can get off an expressway and you think you're you don't even know you're getting off an expressway and you're like, what the hell just happened? You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's just like in the middle of like you know, 
the sketchiest part of Miami too. You're like, oh shit. Oh yeah. 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 So I, I lived down there for about six years when I was a kid. And, um, oh. and that is a, you know, back in the eighties, that was a very violent place. Wow. Wow. That's dope. That's what it is. But, uh, no, no, drag me to hell. Oh man. We're going all over the place, but uh, yeah, sorry. Um, no, no, that's that's totally me. I go off on tangents all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Drag Me to Hell. What I loved about that movie was how disgusting so many of the scenes were. You know, where yeah. I don't know. Whenever uh, Christine, you know, the, our, our main actress in the film, um, wakes up. And uh, all of a sudden she, you know, is supposedly beside the old woman that she had rejected with this loan. And and uh, she kind of falls on top of her and pukes out all these bugs and whatever on top of her. That's I just, you know, man, it's so gross. And then she goes to the 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 wake that's going on for the old lady. And she doesn't realize it's the wake until she gets like right down there to the casket and she falls onto the casket and the corpse kind of falls on top of her, and the corpse's mouth is sort of all over her face and is leaking Ugh. embalming fluid all over her face. Yeah. And, I mean, things like that, and there's other... I mean, so many scenes that uh, are just, like, downright disgusting that uh, I really appreciated. Um, you know, even though they weren't necessarily practical, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them were CG... Yeah. Okay, I mean, but it was it was still if, gross, man. I I like you know, CG is I I I part my personal I like practical more than CG stuff. You know, like Avatar was cool looking, I guess. You know, like it was. <laughs> I'd rather see a real blue thing than a. I don't know what you would actually virtual reality. Is that what that is? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Like whatever it is. Yeah. I'd rather, you know, if there, if you could do it practical, to do it practical, you know? Right. All right. I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's a, there's a reason for everything. And I feel that very strongly. Right. But, uh, I mean, when you use those things and I'm sure Sam Raimi did that for a reason. Right. And, uh, you know, it was probably beyond what he was able to do practically or the budget constraints or who knows. Yeah. Well, where are you, man, with, uh, you know, CG? I mean, would you use it if the budget called for it? If you wanted to see this scene, you just had to have this scene play out as it was in your mind? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I would. I would I would use a fucking fork with a chicken head on the end of it if I had to. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, whatever it takes, man. Like, uh I'm at that stage right now where, you know, I just want to make cool stuff and I, I can't see myself doing anything else. Cool. So whatever it takes, if I have to, you know, like I remember, you know, the opening scenes to Velvet Road, I didn't, uh, we, we shot that and the day of, um, I decided exactly what I wanted to shoot and, uh, And I decided that I wanted everything to link back to Bobby and Caroline's house. And I knew we had this, my grandmother's house, we had this really cool house that we could shoot in. And I was like, I had this idea. I was like, we're going to have this, like a bunch of empty rooms that look like people had just ran out. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to look like a bunch of different empty places. So it looked like a whole community had escaped. 
And when we were there, I started linking it together. I was like, you know, I'm going to make this look, look more like it was Bobby and Caroline before they left the house. Mm. And it hit me then. So in the, in where the sink is, I've never made blood in my entire life. So I had to look up at it because I didn't have, it was just like me and like four other guys at, at this state. You know, it, it was after the film was made and I was like, shit, I got to put some blood on this sink. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so I like looked it up on the phone and, uh, or like, so I think I looked it up on my phone and I was like, all right, corn syrup and a food coloring. And uh, I went up to my granny and I was like, granny, can I put some blood on your sink? And she's like, She's like, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, am I staying it? And she goes, I don't care. And I was like, all right. Wow. <laughs> I went and did it. I got it out. But, you know, she's so cool that she's like, whatever. You know, like, just do do what you got to do to make the movie, you know? Man. And, uh, like, I actually, and uh, and we, we had a scene that you didn't get to see. But uh, it was supposed to be a cigarette that was left in the in an ashtray, and it was just burning to look like somebody just left in a hurry, you know. Oh wow! So I lit the first cigarette that's ever been lit in my grandmother's house in sixty five years, <laughs> and I and I don't smoke, so I like lit it, and then I had to inhale it, and I was like, "Holy crap!" You wow. know, and, and then and then I put the cigarette down. <laughs> she was just so cool about it, you know. Great, man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. She's uh, she's definitely a big inspiration for why a lot of this stuff happens. Wow. Um yeah, she I try to leave little uh Easter eggs and and everything I do is has something to do with my grandmother that she's either said to me or taught me or I don't know. So That is so cool. Heard that's yes. something uh, Sam Raimi does is he wears a suit to set every single time he's on set because his mother when he was on the set of evil dead was like you know this is a really important shoot that you're doing and he was like i know and she's like you should probably wear a suit so he does now he wears it every single time he's on set really wow that, that could be just a uh, folklore or something but i think <laughs> man <laughs> wow Wow, I love it. I love it, dude. Got to get running, but um, um, it was great talking to you, man. No, thank you, man. And uh, it's again, it's a it's a true honor that uh, you take time to talk with me, man, because I love what you're doing. And of course, Velvet Road and Kobe, man. I, I'm so excited for uh, for everything. So uh, man, you'll, be, you'll be the first one to know when some things happen. So just awesome. Keep me. Uh, uh, in the loop what you got going on and then i can update you as they come um you know everyone else out, out there listening just uh check out the site it's actually um right now it's the first entry but you will soon be able to check out uh copy the uh the com, and awesome. um you know visit us on facebook follow us on twitter and you know, with that, also check out velvet road the com. we got a, a new site that's being built it'll be up really soon uh, we'll be announcing, uh, hopefully, our cast soon, which is going to blow people's minds, I think. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. So I want to thank everyone for all their support and Jonathan Shepard, Dwayne A. Sykes, and DVA for supporting me and you. Oh, dude, that's very flattering. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's uh, truly an honor, man, to have you on. And uh, 
Man, I'm so excited for yeah, everything that you got. Yeah, next time we talk, I'll be married and, and uh, have some movies for yes, you. Yes, congratulations <laughs> on that, man. And dude, Thanks. marriage is so awesome. I'm no, dude, I, I know you're gonna love it. Yeah, yeah. she's my yeah. best friend, and yeah, it's it's cool because it's like having a hot best friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, you know like, it. You know it. Sweet. I get to do stuff to you. This is awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, Gus, it's been great tonight, man, and uh, we'll be talking again soon. Thanks, man. You have a good night. All right. Good night, man. Bye. Electric chair. Herbert West, Reanimator, by H.P. Lovecraft. Part 2. The Plague Demon. I shall never forget that hideous summer 16 years ago, when, like a noxious affright from the halls of Eblis, typhoid stalked leeringly through Arkham. It is by that satanic scourge that most recall the year, for truly terror brooded with bat wings over the piles of coffins in the tombs of Christchurch Cemetery. Yet for me, there is a greater horror in that time, a horror known to me alone now that Herbert West has disappeared. West and I were doing postgraduate work in summer classes at the medical school of Miskatonic University, and my friend had attained a wide notoriety because of his experiments leading toward the revivification of the dead. After the scientific slaughter of uncounted small animals, the freakish work had ostensibly stopped by order of our skeptical dean, Dr. Alan Halsey, though West had continued to perform certain secret tests in his dingy boarding house room, and had on one terrible and unforgettable occasion taken a human body from its grave in the potter's field to a deserted farmhouse beyond Meadow Hill. I was with him on that odious occasion, and saw him inject into the still veins the elixir which he thought would, to some extent, restore life's chemical and physical processes. It had ended horribly, in a delirium of fear, which we gradually came to attribute to our own overwrought nerves, and West had never afterward been able to shake off a maddening sensation of being haunted and hunted. The body had not been quite fresh enough. It is obvious that to restore normal mental attributes, a body must be very fresh indeed, and a burning of the old house had prevented us from burying the thing. It would have been better if we could have known it was underground. After that experience, West had dropped his researches for some time, but as the zeal of the born scientist slowly returned, he again became importunate with the college faculty, pleading for the use of the dissecting room and of fresh human specimens for the work he regarded as so overwhelmingly important. His pleas, however, were wholly in vain, for the decision of Dr. Halsey was inflexible, and the other professors all endorsed the verdict of their leader. In the radical theory of reanimation, they saw nothing but the immature vagaries of a youthful enthusiast whose slight form, yellow hair, spectacled blue eyes, and soft voice gave no hint of the supernormal, almost diabolical, power of the cold brain within. I can see him now as he was then, and I shiver. He grew sterner of face, but never elderly. And now Sefton Asylum has had the mishap and West has vanished. West clashed disagreeably with Dr. Halsey near the end of our last undergraduate term in a wordy dispute that did less credit to him than to the kindly dean in point of courtesy. He felt that he was needlessly and irrationally retarded in a supremely great work, a work which he could, of course, conduct to suit himself in later years, but which he wished to begin while still possessed of the exceptional facilities of the university. 
that the tradition-bound elders should ignore his singular results on animals and persist in their denial of the possibility of reanimation was inexpressibly disgusting and almost incomprehensible to a youth of West's logical temperament. Only greater maturity could help him understand the chronic mental limitations of the professor-doctor type, the product of generations of pathetic Puritanism, kindly, conscientious, and sometimes gentle and amiable, yet always narrow, intolerant, custom-ridden, and lacking in perspective. Age has more charity for these incomplete yet high-souled characters, whose worst real vice is timidity, and who are ultimately punished by general ridicule for their intellectual sins, sins like Ptolemyism, Calvinism, anti-Darwinism, anti-Nietzscheism, and every sort of Sabbatarianism and sumptuary legislation. West, young despite his marvelous scientific acquirements, had scant patience with good Dr. Halsey and his erudite colleagues, and nursed an increasing resentment, coupled with a desire to prove his theories to these obtuse worthies in some striking and dramatic fashion. Like most youths, he indulged in elaborate daydreams of revenge, triumph, and final magnanimous forgiveness. And then had come the scourge, grinning and lethal, from the nightmare taverns of Tartarus. West and I had graduated about the time of its beginning, but had remained for additional work at the summer school, so that we were in Arkham when it broke with full demonic fury upon the town. Though not as yet licensed physicians, we now had our degrees, and were pressed frantically into public service as the numbers of the stricken grew. The situation was almost past management, and deaths ensued too frequently for the logical undertakers fully to handle. Burials without embalming were made in rapid succession, and even the Christchurch Cemetery receiving tomb was crammed with coffins of the unembalmed dead. This circumstance was not without effect on West, who thought often of the irony of the situation. So many fresh specimens, yet none for his persecuted researches. We were frightfully overworked, and the terrific mental and nervous strain made my friend brood morbidly. But West's gentle enemies were no less harassed with prostrating duties. College had all but closed, and every doctor of the medical faculty was helping to fight the typhoid plague. Dr. Halsey, in particular, had distinguished himself in sacrificing service, applying his extreme skill with wholehearted energy to cases which many others shunned because of danger or apparent hopelessness. Before a month was over, the fearless dean had become a popular hero, though he seemed unconscious of his fame as he struggled to keep from collapsing with physical fatigue and nervous exhaustion. West could not withhold admiration for the fortitude of his foe, but because of this was even more determined to prove to him the truth of his amazing doctrines. Taking advantage of the disorganization of both college work and municipal health regulations, he managed to get a recently deceased body smuggled into the university dissecting room one night, and in my presence injected a new modification of his solution. The thing actually opened its eyes, but only stared at the ceiling with a look of soul-petrifying horror before collapsing into an inertness from which nothing could rouse it. West said it was not fresh enough, the hot summer air does not favor corpses. That time we were almost caught before we incinerated the thing, and West doubted the advisability of repeating his daring misuse of the college laboratory. The peak of the epidemic was reached in August. West and I were almost dead, and Dr. Halsey did die on the 14th. The students all attended the hasty funeral on the 15th and bought an impressive wreath, though the latter was quite overshadowed by the tributes sent by wealthy Arkham citizens and by the municipality itself. It was almost a public affair, 
for the dean had surely been a public benefactor. After the entombment, we were all somewhat depressed and spent the afternoon at the bar of the commercial house, where West, though shaken by the death of his chief opponent, chilled the rest of us with references to his notorious theories. Most of the students went home, or to various duties, as the evening advanced, but West persuaded me to aid him in making a night of it. West landlady saw us arrive at his room about two in the morning, with a third man between us, and told her husband that we had all evidently dined and wined rather well. Apparently, this acidulous matron was right. For about 3 a.m., the whole house was aroused by cries coming from West's room, where, when they broke down the door, they found the two of us unconscious on the blood-stained carpet, beaten, scratched, and mauled, and with the broken remnants of West's bottles and instruments around us. Only an open window told what had become of our assailant, and many wondered how he himself had fared after the terrific leap from the second story to the lawn, which he must have made. There were some strange garments in the room, but West, upon regaining consciousness, said they did not belong to the stranger, but were specimens collected for bacteriological analysis in the course of investigations on the transmission of germ diseases. He ordered them burnt as soon as possible in the capacious fireplace. To the police, we both declared ignorance of our late companion's identity. He was, West nervously said, a congenial stranger whom we had met at some downtown bar of an uncertain location. We had all been rather jovial, and West and I did not wish to have our pugnacious companion hunted down. That same night saw the beginning of the second Arkham Horror, the horror that, to me, eclipsed the plague itself. Christchurch Cemetery was the scene of a terrible killing, a watchman having been clawed to death in a manner not only too hideous for description, but raising a doubt as to the human agency of the deed. The victim had been seen alive considerably after midnight. The dawn revealed the unutterable thing. The manager of a circus at the neighboring town of Bolton was questioned, but he swore that no beast had at any time escaped from its cage. Those who found the body noted a trail of blood leading to the receiving tomb, where a small pool of red lay on the concrete just outside the gate. A fainter trail led away towards the woods, but it soon gave out. The next night, devils danced on the roofs of Arkham, and unnatural madness howled in the wind. Through the fevered town had crept a curse which some said was greater than the plague, and which some whispered was the embodied demon soul of the plague itself. Eight houses were entered by a nameless thing which strewed red death in its wake. In all, seventeen maimed and shapeless remnants of bodies were left behind by the voiceless, sadistic monster that crept abroad. A few persons had half seen it in the dark and said it was white and like a malformed ape or anthropomorphic fiend. It had not left behind quite all that it had attacked, for sometimes it had been hungry. The number it had killed was fourteen. Three of the bodies had been in stricken homes and had not been alive. On the third night, frantic bands of searchers, led by the police, captured it in a house on Crane Street near the Miskatonic campus. They had organized the quest with care, keeping in touch by means of volunteer telephone stations, and when someone in the college district had reported hearing a scratching at a shattered window, the net was quickly spread. On account of the general alarm and precautions, there were only two more victims, and the capture was effected without major casualties. The thing was finally stopped by a bullet, though not a fatal one, and was rushed to the local hospital amidst universal excitement and loathing. For it had been a man. This much was clear despite the nauseous eyes, the voiceless simianism, and the demonic savagery. 
They dressed its wound and carted it to the asylum at Seftum, where it beat its head against the walls of a padded cell for 16 years, until the recent mishap, when it escaped under circumstances that few like to mention. What had most disgusted the searchers of Arkham was the thing they noticed when the monster's face was cleaned, the mocking, unbelievable resemblance to a learned and self-sacrificing martyr who had been entombed but three days before, the late Dr. Alan Halsey, public benefactor and dean of the medical school of Miskatonic University. To the vanished Herbert West, and to me, the disgust and horror were supreme. I shudder tonight as I think of it. Shudder even more than I did that morning when West muttered through his bandages, Damn it, it wasn't quite fresh enough. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. All right. Thanks again for listening. That's another show on the books. So, uh, man, uh, like I said, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I'll be back again next week uh, with more great stuff. I have fantastic things in the works here, talking with great people. And, man, man, just keep listening. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, and uh, thank you to El Gustavo Cooper. He is the man. I'll have all kinds of links up in the show notes on the website here where you can find out more about him. But he's a, just an outstanding, outstanding talent. And uh, I really like talking to him, too. Great guy. Great guy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, uh, go to my website, electricchairshow.com or midnightcory.com or, uh, you know, any, uh, where, wherever else. Um, I'm hoping to release, you know, my, my next uh, episode of the, the video podcast, the 2D um, that is in the works, man. It, it just kind of got delayed. I got, uh, you know, kind of hammered with work here before Thanksgiving. Of course, every time, you know, I have like a break coming up, like Thanksgiving, going out of town. So I'm going to be off work for, you know, a couple days. I just get hammered with work. It's just like, well, you know, I got to keep, you know, I have to sort of make up for all the work I'm, that I'm not going to do during those days in the, you know, the weeks beforehand. So I got to cram everything in just to make sure I can afford to take take this time off oh it's crazy it's crazy i was hoping to have it out by now but it's just uh you know not gonna happen and, and, and that of course is gonna feature um chris uh Nespozinski from uh, orchard place and uh you know all the the, the the people that i interviewed around that and you heard that here a couple weeks ago but uh, you're actually gonna see it which is awesome 
And, uh, yeah, so that's coming up. But uh, what else? Next week, I'll, I'll, you know, of course, I'm going to have uh, part three of Herbert West Reanimator. That is, uh, like I said, in six parts. So lots more goodness coming up. And I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate people. There have been people contacting me that I, I never mentioned here on the show, but I talked to a lot of people, and they really love it. People are just really digging this whole, uh, you know, Tales from the Electric Chair segment that I'm doing. So, uh, and I enjoy doing it. I actually have uh, a lot more recorded here um, in the work, or not in the works, but, uh, you know, pre-recorded stuff. You know, stories coming in and different things that I find that I want to read. And and so, man, it's, it's just uh, a lot of fun for me. So... There you go. There you go. Um, I think that's all I have. Thank you all again for listening, and uh, talk with you again next week. Wars. There was the mighty force 